thank you that you are so good and you constantly amaze us with how great and amazing and wonderful you are. And we bless you, Father. And we want to tell you, Father, that we have heard the call of Jesus to seek first the kingdom. And, Father, we want the king and his kingdom above all. We ask that you would breathe your Holy Spirit over our time this afternoon so that we may build with you and see your kingdom come. Father, we long to see heaven touch earth and earth rise up to worship heaven. Will you please help us? We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, one of the problems we have is that uh, we're called as Christians to be people of blessing. But sadly, one of the things that has uh, been used as a caricature of us is not that we're a people of blessing at all, but there were people of judgment, judgmentalism, of criticism, of putting people down, of having a negative view on, on people and things, uh, anything but a people of blessing. But we are called to bless. And uh, just a little while ago, uh, a guest turned up at Val de Brenin wearing dark clothes and uh, occult jewellery. And so when the team member saw her, uh, she was immediately ready to, to remonstrate with her and sense God saying, no, don't do that. Just give her space. And so she was welcomed, even though she was wearing occult jewellery, symbolism and so on. This lady went into the chapel at some point and then had a bit of a shock because her jewellery burnt her when she was in the chapel. Several days passed and she saw some smoke arising from up in one of the gardens and she went up there and the gardener was there with a very substantial bonfire going. And uh, she stood there for a while and he went over and stood by her, just stood with her, didn't say a word, just stood there. And they stood together and then she took off her occult symbols, threw them on the fire. And again, our gardener didn't say a word, just stood with her and uh, saw this stuff destroyed. That was it. And uh, she, she was seen around the place and then she went home. I have the most wonderful letter from her. I want to tell you what happened. Um, you can not have failed to see what I was wearing. I was waiting for people to judge me and criticize me. Nobody said anything. You just accepted me and you showed love towards me. And then when I knew I had to let this stuff go, the thing that spoke to me loudest of all was your gardener, who didn't say a word, was prepared quietly simply to stand with me and just be there for me. Let me tell you what happened afterwards, she said. I slept that night, and I slept through that night. But for as long as I can remember, I awake screaming in the night. But that night, I just slept through. And every night since. You may not be surprised to know that I have changed my friends. 
This is God's stuff, isn't it? So we need to be very careful that instead of rising up and being slow to bless and quick to judge, we remember what God is like, who is slow to anger, but full, full of mercy, overflowing with mercy and steadfast love. So we need to let go of this sort of Christian caricature let go of all the judge. Sin is sin. But you know, the New Testament does not teach us that the role of Christians is the gift of the world to judge sin. Actually, it's the Holy Spirit who has come to convict of sin. It's not our role. We're to love and to bless. We're not to touch sin. But we're not there to judge We're there to love and say, Father, come and rescue this person. When was it that Jesus Christ came and died for your sins and my sins? Was it when we had drawn closer and got our lives sorted out and we're in a really good place? No, it says at the right time he came. What was the right time? When we were far off and lost in our sins. When you would most expect him to judge us, that was the perfect time for him to send Jesus to come and rescue us. So if we're to be like our Father, which is what the scriptures tell us we should be like, we should be quick to bless, very, very slow to speak of judgment. Then we'll reflect something of the nature of uh, of our Father. But perhaps uh, during one of the breaks, um, if there's anybody here who can explain to me why some Christians get so excited about the impending doom that's going to fall upon the nations, that they can come and explain it to me. I fail to understand the joy that some people find uh, in, in saying that the judgment of God is about to fall on our nations. Oh, it's going to be great. What does the Bible actually say? When judgment comes, it begins with the people of God. Ouch. Lukewarm today? Well, you're in trouble then, aren't you? We need to be very, very careful how we represent our father, our family. It's about blessing. So... um, Come on, Marion, you can come up and help me for a second, okay? Because I know you by name and lots of people here know who you are, okay? So here is Marion, happily married to Robert. Um, How many days anniversary is it today? Three months. Three months anniversary, or thereabouts, yeah? Okay. Here is somebody that I want to bless, As a Christian, I want to bless this person. The first thing I know is that I don't have to know anything about this person, about their current state of life, what they've done, where they've been, what they've said, what they've failed to do. I don't need any of that information to know that the longing of God is to bless her. 
Because from beginning to end, the intention of our Heavenly Father is to pour out liberated and liberal blessings on everyone who will turn towards him. It's his passion to release blessings. So I know the Father's intention for you. And, uh, and that's what counts. So I can speak blessings over this person here. But have a look at Marion. Can you see her? <laughs> what do you see? You see a human being. You, you see somebody now, you, you know Marion, uh, knows the Lord Jesus and is a follower of him. So, um, so, so that's fine, that's something you know. You know she's married to Robert, has been married for three months. That's great. What else do you know about her? Well, she has a son, John. Where's John? Upstairs. John's upstairs. But she has a son, John. And what else do we know? You have a home. She has a home. She has a mind. She has emotions. She has dreams, hopes, aspirations. She has a whole new life ahead of her uh, with, uh, with Robert. Um, what else do we know about her? She wears clothes. She needs to eat, so there needs to be finance for her and for Robert. What else do we know? Can you think of other things? Well, it's a question of health, of course. What about other relationships? I mean, three months, maybe they only have time for each other at the moment. But, but in the course of life, there are other relationships. There are key relationships. There's family. There's extended family. There's friendship. That's belonging to the body of Christ. What else do we know about her? Ah, well, we could go on and on and on. The more you think, what is it to be a human being? Here's a human being. So to truly bless Marion, the problem for us as Christians is that we can say, then we must bless her that she may walk a purer life, even closer to God. Well, that's great. But come on, let's be real. Okay. There may be other areas of particular need in her life. Let's speak blessings over these areas. Um, let's speak the protection of God over her marriage. Um, let, let's speak the blessing of God over their income, their financial basis, their home. Let's speak the blessing of God that they may be free to, to, to have wholesome and fruitful Friendship with many people. Let's bless their extended families that something of what God is doing with the two of them might spill over as good news into those who observe them, both family and not family. So how are we going to do all this sort of stuff? So here we go again. Okay, so I'm going to bless you. Father, I really pray that you would come and you would do all these things. Father, you know how much I want you to bless Marion. And yeah, she, come on, Father, please come and bless her and fulfill all your promises. Please bless her. Bless her, bless her, bless her, bless her, bless her. Amen. I hope you feel really blessed. Okay. What have I been doing again? I've been interceding. I've been crying out to the Father. I have been asking God to bless her. But we have, you and I, if we're followers of Jesus, have this incredible authority and responsibility and privilege to bless people. Do you believe in the priesthood of all believers? Yeah? 
central feature of, of Christianity. The New Testament is full of it from beginning to end. We're raised up as a kingdom of priests. Um, that's what we are. And one of the, the key priestly functions is to bless. What did God say? What did Jesus say we should do for those who um, persecute us? We bless them. We bless them. What did Jesus do all the time? He blessed. He blessed in action. He blessed in ministry. And he blessed in words. You remember the, the episode with the children? Here's Jesus on divine mission, the greatest mission in eternity. And here he is, the king of heaven, walking on earth. And you've got these little mums coming up with children. Oh, it would be so nice if we'd had a word with the children. And the disciples, for goodness sake, don't you understand the day you're living in? This isn't a day for messing around with little children. This is the mission of God to change all things. And Jesus comes along and says, you be quiet. It's you who got this wrong. This is the day for blessing the little children. And he brings them forward and he blesses them. What was the very last thing that Jesus did with his disciples? What was he doing when he was actually ascended? You know, you, you always tend to remember particular, you know, I'll never forget the last words that he said to me before he died. I feel much better now. You, know, you never forget the last words that are spoken. They're really important. What were the last words that Jesus was speaking when he was ascended? Luke's very clear. He was blessing them. That's what they would remember. We're called to do the works of Jesus. He has shown us how to live. So we're commissioned to bless. So if I'm going to bless Marian, it's not a case of saying, Father, I do ask that you would come and bless Marian. You understand what I'm saying? It would be really good to do that, and, and we should do that. But I'm trying to just to focus on this aspect that is not instead of praying. It's as well as praying. They belong to God, to, together in God's plan. So we intercede and we speak creative words. So... Come across here a little bit, Marion. That's it. So, so then if I'm going to uh, speak to Marion, then uh, I'm going to do so again. I'm going to do this in the name of Jesus. So Marion, I bless you in the name of Jesus. Now you say, I'm not going, no, Marion, I bless you in the name of Jesus. But this is just eye to eye. I'm just talking in the name of Jesus and speaking to Marion. So Marion, I bless you in the name of Jesus that the favor of God may be stirred up in your life, that he may firmly establish you. I bless you that you may rejoice in your marriage, but you may still see that Jesus is enthroned above your marriage, that you may lift your eyes up and see Jesus the King enthroned for you, and that you may worship him first. I bless you that all the financial provision you, you need for living, for home, enabling you to be established, that everything may be released for you, that you may know the God who has plenty, abundance to give to you, and that that abundance may flow. I bless you in the name of Jesus, 
that something of the joy that God has put in your heart will spill spiritually and supernaturally through your family, your extended family, that something of the good news and the working of God might become visible to them and attractive to them as the Spirit of God is moving through you. So I bless you that you may be physically established as well, that you may be strong and healthy in mind, heart, and body. So I bless you that the abundance of God may be upon you, flow through you, and pour out into your family and circumstances in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you. So you see how this is done, just eye to eye? Thanks, Marion. So these are not just empty words. There's a ministry here. There was a young man giving his testimony. He grew up in a really abusive household. He was abused by his father. And on a Sunday morning, he would anxiously watch the clock. His father would send him to the newsagent to get the paper. Uh, on a Sunday morning, and he would time it just right because there was an Anglican church uh, opposite the newspaper shop. And depending on the minute, it determined which he popped into because he knew at exactly that set time, um, the vicar of that church would say, and now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ And the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. And that lad, every week, would nip in there for that. Because when those words were spoken, something changed for him. And he could cope with the the idea of living through another week of abuse. He was supernaturally strengthened by those words. And he says that's what kept him going for years just hearing those words spoken. And the vicar and the people didn't know anything about this lad who just popped in at the end of the service and disappeared again. What was going on? It was the ministry of the Spirit that comes through speaking words. It's not about formulas. It's about ministry in the Holy Spirit. When we speak in the name of Jesus, we have incredible authority if we're willing to to put it on. I choose to put this cloak on, the authority of the Lord Jesus that is delegated to me. And it's because that it's the authority of Jesus that I carry that I can say to this sickness, go in Jesus' name. To that disease, leave now in the name of Jesus. To that person in a wheelchair for years, get up now in the name of Jesus. It's not because somehow I have achieved something in my spiritual life. It's actually I've learned to make myself less and exalt him and recognize that I have nothing I can bring for these people. But what I have, I give unto you. What I have is the strong name of Jesus. It's his authority. Uh, This applies to what we're doing for people because not only can we speak to people face-to-face to to bless, but we can speak out over people in their absence, out over communities as we did this morning. We don't have to be there. In the name of Jesus, I speak over community X. 
that the Spirit of God may have freedom to move in Jesus' name. I bless the people in that community that dreams and visions and encounters may come for them, that the people there may find themselves set free to hear the Word of God, the living Word of God. Does this make sense? But we're going to pray for these people. We're going to pray for the area. So five people, five minutes a day, five days a week for five weeks, and then review it and say, what's happening? What do I sense is going on? But when we come together uh, about once a week with uh, two, three, four, five others, uh, whatever that number is, we come together, we worship, we say, have you any insights into what's going on in the community? Has God revealed anything? We keep it short and sharp and simple. And then we're going to pray then for the, for the area. How do we pray? How do we pray for people? Well, Jesus taught us how to pray, didn't he? So the disciples were Orthodox Jewish believers. They had grown up in the rhythm and pattern of the scriptures and the prayers. They knew all about praying. They knew about the faithfulness and the promises of God. But they observed Jesus praying. And they said, hang on, what we've got doesn't look like the way that Jesus prays. We like the way Jesus prays. And so they went to him and said, Lord, could you teach us to pray? The rabbis, our culture, our family have taught us to pray, but there's something different with your prayer life. Can you teach us to pray? And so what we know as the Lord's Prayer is a little bit strange given the number of prayers of Jesus there are in the Gospels. And for some reason we call that the Lord's Prayer. Um, was never taught to be prayed by rote, although there's nothing wrong with doing that at all. But it was a rabbinical method of teaching. And the normal method of teaching was to teach people a framework. And once you'd learned the framework and got the framework, it was up to you to put the flesh on those bones. So it's a framework to enable us to pray, not simply a prayer in itself to be regularly prayed. Although obviously there's nothing wrong whatsoever in doing that. But that was not the purpose. And because many of us will probably have been taught as infants even how to pray the Lord's Prayer, um, we, we tend to whiz through it. We probably pray it uh, every Sunday at least once and maybe during the week as well. And we whiz through it, say amen at the end, and miss what this is all about. And I want to consider, reconsider for a moment, how we use the, what we call the Lord's Prayer as a way of praying. From the beginning to the end of the prayer, the framework, it's all about the kingdom of God. The good news that Jesus came to bring was that the kingdom of God is now here amongst us. It's so close that if we wish, we can reach out and grab hold of it. That's what Jesus says. It's within reach. He didn't say the kingdom of God has come close so that we can say, so what? Well, very nice. But actually it would be 
a little bit better if it actually came so we could see it or experience or whatever. The whole point of saying it's come close is if you turn direction, if you repent, you can step under it and into it today. You can know the power and authority and the rule of Jesus today over your life. And from beginning to end, this framework of prayer is all about the kingdom. So let's, let's look very quickly at it afresh for a moment. The very first word, our. Not my. It's not about my personal, unique relationship with God that sets me apart uniquely from other people and other Christians who, who couldn't quite understand my, my personal closeness to the Father, which is so unique and, and, and simply unable to bring other people into that because I'm so special. There's no room for, for lone rangers in the kingdom of God because God is community, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God could not be God. He couldn't reveal himself as God. Perfection cannot be seen we discover, except in community. And God is community, this incredible interplay of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. What is the purpose of God on earth is to create people. What is the promise that he gives again and again and again? It's about all the families of the earth being blessed, about a new people being raised up, It's all about community. What does Jesus do when he commences his ministry? He starts a community, an impossible community of 12, who, from a social engineering point of view, would be absolutely impossible to bring together into a cohesive unit. And you think of the people who are in there. You've you've got uh, Simon, who wants to go off and wage war and uh, and tear down the Roman stronghold in the nation. And you've got Matthew, the turncoat, who actually acts for the occupying force and takes taxes off his own people. How do you put them together and say, learn to love one another, walk together, bless each other, serve one another? I mean, this is warfare, isn't it? For those two in a locked room, perhaps only one will walk out again. So he begins to build kingdom, but it's a prophetic kingdom. Uh, Sorry, community. It's not like any other community. It's a community of the impossible. And it's a sign on earth that the impossible is taking place today our if we are followers of jesus then we have to come into relationship with one another because the call of jesus you think of it for a moment jesus comes up to you and he says brian come follow me and brian thinks wow jesus has singled me out he's calling me to follow him to be with him This is incredible. And so he steps up and he comes forward. And My name's Brian, you know. I've been singled out to call to follow Jesus. But then the person that drives Brian round the bend suddenly stands up over here as as Jesus says to him or her, you, I want you to come and be with me. 
hang on, I thought I was being called to come follow Jesus. But you cannot follow Jesus without relating to others who are being called by him as well. You cannot have a unique and personal call that allows you to be on your own. To follow Jesus, you must link in with others because this is all about community. He's building community. And therefore we have this astonishing news that church, and I mean that in the global context, not necessarily the the congregation that you are part of personally at the moment, but church actually is planned by God to be a demonstration of good news in itself. That isn't always true, is it? But this amazing community filled with the presence of God is actually part of the good news. That's the plan of God. So we have to come together. Our Father, it's family. Not our boss, our chief, our Father. I come to you, Father, as a child in heaven. So I may be aware of authorities and powers that are at work and the community around me have touched my life, political, economic, and spiritual, social. And yet, above it all, I'm in relationship to my Father who is above it all. And actually, when I look at the interplay of of agendas and powers and authorities over my community, yet above it, with more power and more authority, in fact, with all power and all authority, has been placed Jesus. And I can respond to my father because we're family. I'm in a family relationship here. Hallowed be thy name. Now, I want you to consider this for a moment. I remember as a child, uh, my sister, who's younger than me and, and, and myself, saying to, to one of my parents, what does it mean, hallowed be thy name? What does that mean? And being told, it means that when you mention God's name, you go very quiet. May your name be and we still didn't know what it meant, except you go, I believe that for years. But essentially what it's saying is, because you, you'll remember that uh, for the Hebrews, um, names of people were, were wrapped up in, in identity and character and so on. Essentially what Jesus is saying is, this is how you've got to pray. God, come and be God. Come and bring all your character. Come and bring revelation, supply, righteousness, everything that you are. Come and release healing, supply. Come and champion the poor, hear their cry. Come come and be God. Come and be God. God. That's what it means. And running through the Old Testament, the disciples would know this. God had revealed himself progressively by names. I am the Lord, whatever. Here are a few of them. Said he. I am the Lord who provides. That's Genesis 22, verses 8 and 14. 
That's an interesting beginning of revelation by God. Who are you? I am the God who supplies. I am the Lord, your healer. Exodus 15.26 I am the Lord, your peace. Judges 6.24 I am the Lord, your banner. Psalm 20, verse 5. Who are you, Lord? I am the Lord, your righteousness. Jeremiah 23, 6. And you might have expected that earlier in the unfolding revelation of what God is like. But now we started with the intensely day-to-day practical. I am the God who can provide for you. Who are you? I am the Lord who is with you. Ezekiel 48, 35. And this basic framework of revelation that God had brought, displaying his character. God then, come and be God. What does that mean? We can look at the community we're concerned for. And we can say, what are the dominant features of this community? What do we see in it? Is there a lot of sickness in this community? Well, God has said he is the Lord, our healer. Well, why don't we say, God, come and display yourself as a healer. Release healing amongst these people. Help them to know that you're at work. Open up opportunities, Father, by which the ministry of healing might be released to these people. Come and be God. Hallowed be thy name. That's what it means. Or we may say a big issue in this particular area is the poverty. Father, you said that you're the one who provides. This is who you are. Will you open up incredible streams of supply for those who are in poverty? Will you hear their cry? Maybe will you stir us up as your people, help us to be part of the answer to the needs of these people? But will you come and be God for these people? Connect with their lives. Or maybe the big issue is loneliness. Lord, would you please come and be the Lord who is with us? Be the one who is with them. Help them suddenly become aware of your presence. We had somebody come to one of our recent um, conferences, just a a brief weekend conference, Uh, a lady who'd been widowed for some time. And she came with with a whole busload of people. And uh, when they went home, They dropped her off and she went into her flat and she instantly knew something was missing. And she couldn't work out what it was, but something was missing. And she started looking around her flat trying to work out what was missing when suddenly she realized it was her loneliness that was missing. She walked back into her home and the loneliness that had just filled her for several years, filled her home, had disappeared The Lord was there. Lord, come and be God. Hallowed be your name. Now then, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth, just as it is in heaven. This is intense warfare. It's not pacifism. It's not saying, well, Lord, we don't really know what's going on here, but we trust you and say, well, Lord, you know, your will be done. And saying your will be done like that usually means we give up. We'll hide behind the fact that we're saying, 
Lord, your will must be done. So whatever happens, we'll just assume it was your purpose. That's not Christianity, that's fatalism. That's not what Jesus meant when he said, pray that the rule of God may break in now and that his will will be done on earth. For his will to be done on earth means that every other evil agenda, every agenda, every power, every force arrayed against people is broken because the greater one has come now. I was talking to somebody recently and they were telling me about their illness. And uh, their illness filled their life, their consciousness every day. Um, Their family was dominated by it. And I said, who's the Lord of your life? Jesus is. I said, that's great. What fills every day all your thinking, all my sickness? I said, well, I'm going to ask the question again then. What's the Lord of your life? What fills your life? What dominates your life? Oh, my sickness. What is it that pours out of you and fills your family? My sickness. Oh dear, she said. And so we've got a choice here. Um, what do you want to be the Lord of your life? Do you want your sickness to rule your life and your family? Or do you want Jesus? I want Jesus. Well then you better tell your sickness that his power is broken. And she did, and she prayed a lovely prayer. And she said, sickness, I'm not going to have you anymore. I'm going to refuse to allow you to fill my life, my consciousness, to spoil my life, to spoil my family's life. And by the time she'd finished, her symptoms had disappeared. I mean, she was genuinely very sick. Symptoms had disappeared. Something had changed. And the Lordship of Jesus had come back to where it should be. He can't be partially Lord, dominated by something else. He's the supreme one. He's number one. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We had uh, had somebody in a, a group with us whose sister was dying of cancer. And, uh, and, and the summons came, she's about to go, you better come quickly. So we prayed and we rebuked the power of the cancer and the spirit of death on her sister before she left. And she went charging off quite a long way, uh, some hundreds of miles to, to get down to see if she could get there before her sister died. Eventually she, she arrived, she pulled up outside to see a lady walking out with the suitcases and uh, asked her brother-in-law, who's that? Um, saying, uh, and was told, oh, that's the Macmillan nurse just leaving. He said, oh, I'm too late then. No, he said, as her sister came running out of the door, fully clothed, saying, how amazing, how wonderful to see you. I'm just going to cook dinner, come on in. Completely set free, completely healed. Lord, your will be done, because your rule is breaking in. So every other dominion, power, authority, whatever that authority might be, and it might be sickness or disease, it might be poverty, it might be hopelessness or depression, it might be addiction, but whatever it is, 
now cause it to yield to your breaking in so that what actually happens in these people's lives is no longer according to the agenda of this world or anything else, but let heaven touch them. We know, Father, your longing is to bless them and set free, so come and be God and do it. That's how we pray. Is this making sense? Yeah? So that's how we pray and say, come, Lord, come and be God. The intense practicality after this, you know, come on then, break in. What's next then? Give us today our daily bread. So it's all so practical. Give us today our daily bread. To God, our day-by-day survival, our economy, our personal economy matters. Jesus said, don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to be dressed in. I mean, look at the Father's care for his creatures around you. Look at the beauty of the birds, the fields. Look at the flowers. As for you, what you're to do is to seek the kingdom. And your father knows you need these other things, so he'll give you those as well. Scary. So we pray, Father, you know what I need. You know what I need. Will you please come and supply what I need? But but what is it that I'm to come and ask for? Will you please come and give me what I need for today? Um, when Daphne and I first went to Falderbrenian, we did not want to go there. It was not good news to us. Where we eventually heard God, we had said no, no, no to the invitation to go. And uh, when God eventually said to us personally, I want you to go, it was not good news. Daphne cried for hours with with, uh, homesickness before we'd even left. Um, Neither of us were happy about this at all. It seemed like a heavy... A heavy punishment. Uh, the trust didn't know whether the place could survive financially. And uh, and by the way, we can't pay you a penny. And we had no money. That's what it's like when you're a Christian minister, isn't it? We had nothing. So it didn't make sense. Uh, but we went and said, Lord, uh, you said to go, so here we go. If you don't know the story, when we arrived, we were halfway up the drive, which is very steep, and the clutch started to burn out on the removal vehicle, and in the dark and in the uh, heavy rain, started to slide backwards down this very narrow drive with a big drop. It was quite st- uh, scary, and um, and we couldn't get up under our own steam. We had to abandon everything and sleep on couches that night. And then the next morning a farmer came with tractor and chains and dragged us up. And there were some guests and they all came out with cameras cheering and taking photos as we we were pulled up. I think the point is God was saying, I know you're not coming because you want to. You can't even come under your own strength. You haven't even got the strength to arrive. I'm arranging for you to be towed in. And uh, one of the trustees will still talk of uh, how she watched us arrive, kicking and screaming, being pulled and towed and tugged up to the place. We didn't want to be there. And we had nothing. And, uh, And yet, every day as we prayed, God supplied exactly what we needed for the day. It's not, Father, will you give me what I need for this coming year? 
is, Father, will you give me today my daily bread? And we can spiritualize this and say, of course, we're referring to the word of God. Rubbish. Rubbish. What the people desperately needed was bread to survive. It's give me what I need to survive today, Lord. I look to you. And that's what gives us financial security. Our jobs don't. Our job titles don't. Our positions in society don't. We have stability and esteem because our Father loves us and says, I choose to give you what you need day by day. And that may come through what we do work-wise, and that's fine. But our security does not rest there. Our security rests in our Father who gives. So then, what do we pray for the people around us? Father, you know exactly what these people need to live. You're a Father who supplies, who gives. Will you please come? Will you please come? Now, there's something about the Father who causes the sun to shine and the the rain to fall uh, on the just and unjust alike. He does not discriminate with blessing. And something rises up within us sometimes and says, Father, is is this fair? I was um, teaching a group of mature students uh, in southern Europe a couple of years ago, getting ready to send them out on mission. I was teaching them about the kingdom of God. And then one of the questions was, right, we're going to send them out in, I can't remember now, I think it was in groups of five, um, but I'm not quite sure. Um, but uh, we were sending half of them out into southern Europe and half of them over the sea to uh, an Islamic uh, place. And a week And then they came back, debriefed, and went the opposite way, if you see what I mean. So everybody had a week in southern Europe and uh, and a week in an Islamic country. And it was said, how do you declare the good news of the kingdom in a nation where you do not speak the language and they don't speak your language? A different culture, which is an alien culture to you. Um, Maybe Islamic, maybe ignorant, but it may be hostile. Um... How do you do that? And we talked about that. And I took them out in the marketplace. And I took them round. Really hot day. Um, Hundreds and hundreds of people in this great big market. um, Walking around. Doing the things that we said. First of all, Father, wherever I go, as my foot falls on this land, I bless this land that it may be touched by worship and praise to Jesus. This pavement I'm walking along, this road I'm walking along, I bless it, that it may be infected with knowledge of Jesus, that others may walk along here in my footsteps and find something of your kingdom blessing them. Walking by homes, I bless these homes, that the door may be opened in them to the good news of Jesus. Walking by businesses, I bless these businesses, that they may prosper, that they may allow families to live, that there may be a desire to care for their poor and their elderly, those who are sick, those who are hungry, because there's no social care. 
Um, what else do you do? I bless the lives of these people. And it's great because you can walk down the country, down, down the roads between the people who don't speak your language and you don't speak theirs. And they don't know what you're saying. So it's best to do it in twos or you look demented really, don't you? So, uh, so at least two of you are walking together. So it doesn't look odd if you're speaking as you go and you see some people coming towards you. Uh, I bless you in the name of Jesus that the revelation of the gospel of Jesus may fall upon you. They don't know you're speaking to them. It's okay. You're speaking blessings over their lives that they may know Jesus. I bless you in the name of Jesus. And they see a crowd of young people, very, very noisy together. I bless you that out of your number, apostles may rise up to take the good news of Jesus. And... uh, and so I taught them, we went out and they began to do it. And then the other thing is, Lord, do you have appointments for me? As I'm walking amongst these people, is there anyone that you want me just to connect with and, and speak with? If so, just just do something and, and let me know. And uh, in the market, many of the uh, many of the market stallholders had come over from Africa. Their families were still in Africa, um, but they'd come over to make some money, and then they would go back, and they would take the money back for their families. And so many of them spoke either French or English, and so you could communicate with some of them. But it really wasn't possible with the uh, with the people in general who were there as customers in the market and so on. Uh, so there was the opportunity for encounter and conversation. And then you would discover for some of them that there was a Christian connection back home. Maybe they would tell you that uh, the men would tell you, um, you know, maybe in their sort of late 20s, early 30s, that they knew their mothers were praying for them every day. But that they have turned away from Jesus. And what a wonderful opportunity then to start talking about the one who's waiting for them and looking for them, who still cares for them and is there for them. So so off they went and they had adventures. We sent them with nothing, uh, no spare clothes, no money, except uh, that secretly in each five that when they went into the Islamic nation, one of them secretly had a little stash of money um, to enable them to get out in case of emergency. But the other four in the in the team didn't know that. Um, but they couldn't touch it, they couldn't spend it. They just went with nothing to, to declare the good news of Jesus. They came back with such stories. In fact, the staff of the, the, the Bible college uh, who were there were so stirred up because they were going off on holiday at the end of this uh, the course with the students changed their mind when the last student left and said, this is too exciting. Will you bless us and send us out as well? We'll go as a team. Uh, And so they went as well. Well, some of the things that happened were absolutely wonderful. So I found myself sharing these stories afterwards with, with some groups of people, as I am now with you. And then what comes back, of course? But it can't be right to bless Muslims. How can you possibly do that? How can you bless them in Jesus' name? They don't know Jesus, they're, they're Muslim. And blessing businesses, I mean, Islamic businesses. A number of Christians who say, surely we want the Islamic businesses to fail. Really? Really? Do you? 
And then what are you going to do about those who will starve to death in their homes or on the streets? Because everyone in this nation has either has enough to feed themselves and nobody else, or they have nothing. The elderly just often die in the yard by their home because there's nobody to feed them. They die of illness or sickness, there's no medicine. You want to take away their economy, really? Is this how you carry the good news of Jesus? No, come back to the fact. God wants to bless. The greatest blessing of all is the knowledge that he has blessed us through Jesus. But you go step by step. And God doesn't say there are two lots of people in the world. Those who know me that I'll bless and those who don't know me or don't know me yet. And I'll sort of reserve my opinion for them. The scriptures are so clear. He just pours out blessing. We have freedom not to accept it. We may be free to ignore it. We may be blinded by sin and abandoned to sin. But nonetheless, God has not stopped bless, pouring blessing out. It's simply that we've turned away and we're close to it. We're abandoned to our sin. But we have become abandoned to our sin. And God says, well, okay, I'll let you carry on and wallow then. It's your choice. I'm not forcing you. But his heart is to bless and bless and bless. And I'm going on about this. Because if we then take this sort of view of stuff outside, we can bring it back to our own streets. If we, excuse me, if we suddenly view ourselves as missionaries where we are, not church members who also happen to live in this community, but if you begin to say, I'm a missionary. I've been planted as a missionary. I have been sent by Jesus to be and to bring good news to the people around me. Why can't I live as a missionary then? Why can't the focus of my life be seeing the kingdom come, God coming, being expressed as God, allowing all his characteristics to be released in the lives around me? Why can't I become the neighbor from heaven to the people all around me? That's my calling, to become the, the neighbor from heaven. So why not change our way of thinking and say, actually, I'm a missionary. What do you do? I'm a missionary. A missionary? Where are you a missionary to? I'm a missionary right here. I, I have to tell you this story, and I sort of apologize, sort of don't apologize, but I'm a storyteller. You may have picked that up, okay? But, but this is not with us, but it's a church in London. And uh, it's a new church, and they'd been sharing with their people that they really should go out into the tower blocks and, uh, and the streets and so on of their neighborhood and knock on the doors and tell the people about Jesus. And they'd been hammering at this and really oppressing and scaring the congregation, okay? Who really were not up for this. Well, amongst them were this, was this guy who was really shy, nervous, apprehensive, and the leaders of the church uh, grabbed hold of him and said, right, you live in that block of flats, that's yours. Go and knock on every door and tell the people about Jesus. And apparently you could hear his knees banging together a mile away. And he was terrified by this, and great pressure was put on him, and he was truly scared, okay? We should not be doing this to each other. 
Anyway, he was truly scared. And uh, he, uh, Saturday came when he was due to start. And he started late because he was in his, uh, in his flat on his knees saying, God, I can't do this, I can't do this, I can't do this. Please come and help me. So uh, eventually he knew he got to go because he would be questioned on Sunday. He was terrified. He was on his own. He went to the first door. He stood outside for ages saying, oh, God, don't let them be in. <laughs> and he knocked on the door and there's no answer. And it was, yes, you see. Oh, God. Oh, no, that means I've got to go on to the next one. Oh, God, you've got to be with me. And he cried and cried and cried out to God. And he hammered on the door, hammered. Can you imagine? He tapped the door very quietly. And the door was pulled open. And a very large gentleman of a very different skin color to his stood there in baggy jeans and a vest, reached out, grabbed him by his shirt, pulled him in, slammed the door, wheeled him into the front room of his flat, pushed him into the settee, and sat down looking at him. And there in the other chair facing him was obviously the uh, the the. the uh, the man's wife. And this guy, who was very small, was absolutely terrified and intimidated by this sort of man-mountain who was sitting there facing him. And desperately praying, Oh, God, come and help me. Help me. How do I get out of here, God? I would like to be able to walk, really. <laughs> and this very substantial man looked at him and said, Well? And he said, Well, well What? He said, well, are you going to tell us then, or are you not going to tell us? He said, well, tell you what? Well, he said, my wife and I, we've never believed in God, never had any time for God, but we're in a mess, and we've turned everywhere, and we just can't get any help. We don't know what to do. Our life is at an end, and we're ruined. We've got nowhere to turn, so we just sat down where you're sitting on the sofa, and we said, God, if you are real, will you please send an angel now to come and tell us? You are an angel, aren't you? My name's Tim. I live two floors down. Do you mean God hasn't sent you? Well, I think you might have. Is God real? Oh, yes. Well, can you tell us how we can connect with him? Oh, yes. So I gather that when he walked into church Sunday morning, his chest sort of stuck out that far <laughs> as he walked in and had a story to tell. This is not to persuade you to go out knocking on doors um, at all if, if that's not uh, what you sense God wants you to do. But, you know... This whole thing is about connecting with the purpose of God. Let's be available. Let's be open. Instead of just living life as normal, why can't we say, Lord, <laughs> we just had our June conference. I, I've mentioned that, Wednesday to Sunday. And a really good friend of ours who's really quite hilarious and unexpectedly so, uh, an academic theologian um, was doing the anchor sessions, the first session each morning. Uh, and he is a brilliant and amazing guy. 
Uh, and he was complaining about the, the town where he lives in the south of England. And we, we just visited there about a month ago, and so we know where he lives and the place and so on. And, uh, and he was saying that he and his wife were having a bit of a, a heated discussion about who was going to go to the shop. Now, the shops, just a little group of local shops in, in this little place. Um, it's a bit bigger than a village, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's a little town, really. And, uh, but you can walk there in one and a half minutes because it's just at the end of this little street. He said, well, the problem is it's the friendliest place on earth. The moment you go out of the door, one of the neighbors will see you and grab you and start to talk to you. You can't go by the next house without somebody coming out and talking to you. You cross the road and up from the wall appears the guy who was gardening out of sight behind the wall to talk to you. He said it can take hours to get to the shop and back. And all you wanted was a pint of milk, you know. Um, he said it's absolutely terrible. He said, so we argue about who's going to take the risk of walking to the shop, you know, minute and a half, you know. Well, the next time you walk to the shop, or to the bus stop, or to the station, or to work, whatever it is, why not say, Lord, if you've got any sort of encounter for me on the way, uh, will you make it clear for me? If it's on the way to work, and Lord, don't make me late, don't get me into trouble with my boss. But, but Lord, you know, I'm going out of the door. If there's anything you want to do, anything you want me to say, anybody you want me to meet, will you please just enable that to happen? Make me aware of it, because I'm a worker for you. I live for you. I'm alive to you. And I'm, I'm here to be involved in seeing the kingdom of God break out in my community. And then when you walk, why should you not grab one or two? Or maybe the people in your sort of little cluster of four or five people uh, and say, okay, we've had our time together. Uh, let's plan to meet for 15 minutes uh, when we can, just to walk around the community a bit. And what do you do as you walk? I bless these houses in the name of Jesus. I bless the business in that uh, that fruit and veg shop that that they may be amazed um, by by just how much income comes in that will bless them. Maybe they'll be able to employ other local people, which would be wonderful. Um, expand the local economy, Father. As I walk these streets, I bless all those who will walk up and down these streets. But as I walk through this community, I say, Father, tear down every stronghold. Tear down everything the enemy has sown into people's lives. Change these families. Come and be God for them. Come and reveal the glory of Jesus to them. Let the rule of God, the kingdom of God, break in. Because we bless this community. We bless this community. And amazing things happen. Um, two weeks ago, met a, a guy, a pastor in North Wales that, that I had not seen for several years. And uh, it was lovely to see him. He came to some meetings that we were doing there. And um, he was reminding me of, of how on a very hot May afternoon, hard to believe, really hot May afternoon, um, he had, uh, uh, and the elders of his church had taken me to a sink estate. You, you know what that is? Yeah, where, where the sort of cast-offs of people are placed and clumped together so that all the problems are together. Huge estate, huge, 2,000 people on this estate. All the young people had been banned from schools in the county. 
As we walked around, um, there was police raid after police raid. You walked along and you saw the drug deals taking place on the, on the street corners. You saw young kids with um, empty jam jars, empty of jam with a bit of string around them, going along full of spirits, guzzling the spirits. You, you saw kids semi-conscious from, from drugs or alcohol on, on the greens around the really dreadful housing. And we walked around for a little bit, and the pastor said, look at this. And there was a row of houses with privet hedges. And as we walked by, he stuck his head, hand in the hedge and just pulled out reams of curses and satanic stuff that had been shoved into the hedges to, to curse the area and so on. Okay? It's just the work of the evil one. He said, what do we do? I said, well, I can give you a clue. I said, what? I said, this is a place of such cursing. So you bless. How does that work? I said, well, let's have a look at this. Because one of the things we noticed as we walked around amongst all the people, you know, I was, can't tell you how bad it was, you know. Um, we, we saw a, a young, a really young woman, maybe 16, come out of a door carrying a little baby. And, and this pastor knew her and stopped and spoke to her, just introduced me. And, 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 and then said to her, and how does your father feel about this little baby? Because her father was the father of the little baby. We, we, we stopped and talked to the neighbor whose brother had just been imprisoned for, for killing somebody and cutting their heart out. This, this is a bad place. And, and we saw um, that the, the way that people greeted each other was always with a curse. And I said, well, let's have a look at this, see what happens. And we walked along, and there was a, a youth, I guess, somewhere between 19 and 23, I would guess. Uh, slightly the, the worse for wear. Rather staggering up the, the pavement in front of us. And uh, as he approached us, he, he spat out the usual curse that we'd heard everybody say. And I just said, I bless you in the name of Jesus. And do you know what happened? He went... Whoa! And he looked around. I said, what was that that hit me? I said, that's the blessings of God. Whoa! And the pastor said, I see. <laughs> and they're still doing that. They're still doing that, going out, speaking blessings. It's still a very, very difficult field. But God's at work. All this stuff is, Lord, how can I be your worker? How can I be me? I haven't got to be like anybody else. I haven't got to sort of fit in some strange mold. How can I be me but live now as though I'm a worker for you that your kingdom may come? Well, this is what you may do. You may adopt five people. Commit yourself to pray five minutes a day for five weeks. Um, and then review it and, uh, and, and, and say, how am I doing here? Do I sense the working, the flow of the Spirit? Am I seeing any sort of results yet? But you've got to be very careful with that and say, Father, help me to actually see the results so that I don't only see what my flesh sees, but I can see what's behind. And sometimes we need the Holy Spirit to come and show us what's going on. 
a vicar rang us up and said, I've got to tell you, I'm very disappointed about local houses of prayer. Why? Well, two of us started, and a year later, still just the two of us. We haven't seen anything happen. I thought revival would have broken out. I thought that community would be changed. Nothing's happened at all. And I know that something must be wrong. Could we come and talk to you? Yes, came along. Okay, so um, what's going on now? Well, that's it, absolutely nothing. Two of us started and nothing's going on, okay. What's going on in your community? Nothing, there's just no effect. Okay, shall we pray? Father, will you please come and, and show us just what's happening? Okay, now tell me about your next-door neighbor. How do you know about our next-door neighbor? Well, I don't, just tell me. Well, it's strange because there's a, a lady who lives next door to us and she's got mental difficulties. She can't speak with anybody and she's a recluse. But she started knocking on our door, uh, on, on her door, and, and standing there and just looking at me. And I didn't know what to do because she didn't speak or communicate, so I just smiled, said goodbye and closed the door. She said, but then I began to think, come in and have a cup of tea. And she started coming in having a cup of tea. And then she seemed to have a set time twice a week. There would be an expected knock and she would stand there and I'd invite her in and I'd give her a cup of tea. And I might talk with her a little bit, but we enjoyed each other's company. But the amazing thing is, she's begun to speak. And now she talks to me. Okay. But nothing's going on now. Okay. <laughs> Tell me about your street. My street? Well, that's a really strange thing. Why? A young couple with two young children. And the mother abandoned them. Just ran away. And we cried out to God. I said, oh, God, will you do something? She came back. Well, she didn't just come back and ask her husband to forgive her, but because this is a village community, um, she asked whether there could be an opportunity for people in the village to come together. And she stood in front of the village and said, I did something that I will never, ever cope with. I abandoned my children and my husband. And, of course, I abandoned you as well. I can't think of a more disgraceful thing anybody could do. And I want to say to all of you that it was wrong of me. And I want to tell you all that I recognize how wrong it was. I hope in time you'll find a way of forgiving me. Isn't that remarkable? Anything else going on? No, nothing at all. Okay. <laughs> so what do you think is going on through your local house? Well, there's just nothing. Okay. And there's two of you. Yeah, we started with two. We've only got two. Okay. Have you invited other people to come? Oh, Yeah. But it's still just the two of you, yeah. So when you invite people to come, do they come? Yeah. They don't stay there, no, none of them. Do they ever give you a reason? Oh, they all give us the same reason. Well, you want to, to, to hear it, you know, what is this reason? They say, this is fantastic, we're going to go off and do it where we are. And it turns out there's something like 23 communities around them that have got functioning local houses of prayer. And nothing's going on. Nothing's happening. You know? So we need to pray and say, Lord, actually show us the reality of what is going on. Help us to see from your perspective what's happening. So we're going to come together, three, four, five, six of us, and we're going to do that preferably once a week. We're going to identify with the area. 
Lord, we want you to see that our praise, our concern, our worship are arising from this community as first fruits from the community. We represent, Father, those who don't know you yet. We're not representing the believers. We're representing the unbelievers, the not yet believers, to bring you worship and honor and glory. Accept it from this place, Father. We're going to pray for the whole area. Father, let your kingdom come. Come and be God in the midst of us. Forgive sins. Don't lead people off into temptation, Father. Does he do that? Well, he must do because um, he took Jesus into the place of temptation. When Jesus was filled with the Spirit, he was led off into the wilderness to be tempted. It wasn't that God tempted him. But he was testing him and through that preparing him. Please don't do that with me, Father. Actually, deliver me from the power of the evil one. And these people around here, Father, don't just let them be tested and tested and tested. But come now as your reign comes and break that power, that pattern of forever being tested and stretched and broken. And now deliver them out of the power of the evil one. Why? Because the kingdom is yours, Father. And the power, you have power to do all your stuff, to set people free. Come and do it. And yours is the glory, and we'll give you glory, Father. We will give you glory when you come and do this stuff. Well, time has flown away, and our flexible timing is definitely flexible. Do you think we can cope with a 20-minute break instead of a half-hour break? Do you reckon for our final session? So a break now. The drinks are going to be available. Uh, It's coming up to quarter past, so we're going to restart around 25 to 4 for our last session. And we'll build some of this stuff together then.